individuals have a disposition of rebellion and, and rejection of God, so do nations. We, in our worship and in our, in our thoughts, in our meditations, we often think of our faith in, in individual terms. But parallel to the individual salvation that we see in Scripture, we also see the, 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 the thread of the nations, whole people groups who God is concerned with. And they have personalities just like individuals do, and this disposition of rebellion and rejection of God runs through nations as well as individuals. History bears out the inabilities of nations to walk in God's truth or to acknowledge his sovereignty over them. And ultimately, the end of the age will be marked by the nations gathering together to stand against God in three, not one, but three epic battles. So understanding the role of the nations in God's plan is, is a fascinating study, and I thought we would stop and camp on that today for a moment. And seeing the, the role of the nations in history and the world gives us clarity as to what our view as Christians should be towards our own nation. As I look at the larger picture, it makes me all the more amazed and grateful for our heritage as a nation. God has indeed blessed us with his grace and his purpose as he has established America. So a look at the larger role of nations in God's plan and at the end of the age, I believe, can help us to pray, can help us to have a passion for outreach to the nations, not simply to our community, but to the nations, and to intersect with our culture in godly ways. And perhaps most importantly, our view of God's, the, the role of the nations in God's plan can help us to prepare the future generations, the next generations, for the unfolding of God's plan among the nations. There's a lot going on. So I've been wanting to focus on this topic for quite some time, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it today, but I realize that the, the study of the nations in God's plan is, is a daunting task. The more I dove into it, the more I realized, man, this is a big, big deal. I began, I just did a simple word study of nations in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I wound up with several pages of notes and varieties of issues and topics, and then I began to wonder what was wrong with me thinking I could put all this in one, one deal. So our view today is going to be from 40,000 feet. We're going to take the big picture. We can't, can't take the time this morning to dig into every topic, and we're going, to, we're going to uncover a lot of topics today, and you're going to get frustrated because we're not talking about them. My, my goal today is simply to give us the overview picture, and I'm telling you, we're going to go from Noah to Revelation 20 today, and we're going to make a few stops in between. So we're going to cover the history of the world. We're going to cover God's salvation history throughout the world. And we're going to see God's big picture of what the nations mean in his, in his view. So get ready. So sharpen your pencils and hold on. And I, I would also say 
I'm going to refer to several stories in Scripture, and I apologize in advance if you don't know that story, if you haven't had the opportunity to study that particular story, I'm going to go by it really fast. We're just going to try to plug these things in. So if that's the case, I uh, apologize for your frustration in advance. But we're going to try to skip a stone across the timeline of history and see what it means for the nations of the world. So let's go, first of all, to Genesis chapter 10. I'm sorry, we're going to start with the story of Noah. Starting at, we're not going to cover it all. Starting with chapter 5 in Genesis, in, in the following chapters. Look at Noah and his descendants. The first mention of the word nations doesn't come until after the flood of Noah. So if you look up the word nations and do a word study on it, it won't start until after the flood and the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The three sons, Noah and his three sons, were responsible to disperse the peoples of the world coming off of the ark. They were, they were responsible to go out into the world and continue God's plan to fulfill, to multiply, to, to fill the earth. And that was their role. That was God's plan from Adam and Eve, and it didn't stop with the flood. It continued on. They were to go out and populate the earth. They were, out to go, they were to go out across the earth. It was through them that God's plan to fill the earth would be fulfilled. According to Scripture, all the people of the earth, if we did our genealogy and they kept good records back in the days of Noah, if Shem, Ham, and Japheth wrote down their history, wrote down their descendants, and we could trace it all the way back, your blood would all, would all go back to Noah and to the three brothers. Okay? They were responsible for taking, taking God, worship, and their, and their lives out into the world. Fill the earth. So that's part of God's plan. Fill the earth. The first, word, first time the word nations is used is with them. We see... Look at chapter 10. With each of the sons in chapter 10 that describes where they go, what, who their descendants were, and it says, in, like in verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 5, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. They began to divide up into people groups. As they multiplied, they became nations. They became people groups. Then we'll go on to chapter 11. We'll go to the Tower of Babel. Now, chapter 11, if, if you've ever studied Genesis in depth, you'll know that chapter 11 is actually kind of a magnifying glass for chapter 10. It kind of goes back and retells the story of the three brothers and their, their dispersal across the, the land. They became nations. They became people groups. And it says, it says, now the whole earth had one language. Remember, we just said that all the people groups from the three brothers had different languages. Now we're going back to when they had one language. And the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. So all, all the peoples of the earth 
came together and they came to the land of Shinar. What happened? You remember? Tower of Babel happened. They built this huge ziggurat and was, they, would, they would build it up to the heavens so they could make a name for themselves. But you know, in the big picture, what happened was they, they didn't go out into the earth. They didn't go out into the world. They stopped God's plan of multiplying and filling the earth. And they said, we're going to stop right here. And we're going to come together. We're going to make a plan. We're going to build something together. We're going to, be, we're going to, we're going to put all of our, our intellect together. We're going to build a, a tower. It's going to reach up into the heavens. We're going to make a name for ourselves, make a reputation for ourselves. Who do they make a reputation with if they're everybody? With God. We're going to tell God, we don't need you. We got everything we need right here. We're going to pool our resources. And we can, if we set our minds to it, we can do whatever we want to do. So God's plan is stopped right there on the fields of Shinar, the plains of Shinar. And we know the story of the Tower of Babel. They built this tower, and they, and they said, we will make a name for ourselves. And God said what? Do you remember? Genesis 11. God said what? No. No, we're not going to do this. But I want you to see that the first time the word nations appears is all these people groups come out of the, the, the three sons of Noah. They separate into people groups, and, but yet they come back together and they stop God's plan to fill the earth and to move out and disperse. God's plan has always been for the nations. So God said no. And what did he do? Do you remember? He confused their language. So you go back to Genesis chapter 10, and now it says that all the three sons went to these different areas, and they all had their nations and their languages. That comes out of Genesis 11. God said, no, you're not going to do this here. You're not going to put all your resources together. You're not going to... God saw that they could do that indeed, but in order to reach them, and this is important, for God to reach the nations, to reach the peoples of the earth, he would divide and conquer. So he split them up into people groups and sent them on their way again. That's the Tower of Babel. Today, there were 70 people groups at the Tower of Babel. When God separated them, there were 70 people groups. Today, there are 11,489 people groups in the world. That number is constantly changing. So I'm not sure what it is exactly today, but it's something like that. So 70 people groups at the Tower of Babel became 11,000, I'll round it up to 500. Of those, 6,800 are by estimate less than 2% Christian. 6,800 people groups. And of those 11,500 people groups, 3,200 of them have no Christian witness at all today. So you see, the task that God has purposed for the nations is far from over, that they would come to worship him. The task is far from over. Let's keep going. We go to, go to Genesis chapter 12. So now the, the three sons, the nations, the people groups have split up. They've gone across the land all with their different languages. And God is asking himself, how can I reach the nations of the earth? How would he reveal his truth, his character, his grace, his love? 
to a world that had such a propensity to turn away from him and to not regard him as their creator. So from among the nations, God picked out a man, and his name was Abraham. Abram changed to Abraham. A single man, a, a, fa- a man and his family that he would use to create an entirely new nation. This nation would rise up inconspicuously to become the recipients of all that God had for his people. By his grace and his power seen in them as he poured out himself and revealed himself to this nation, God would show the world an example of who he is. They were to be like a display model that showed all the power, the grace, the love of God poured out in them in order for the world to see God. That's how he would reach the nations. As this new people would follow him, as they would be his people, as they would worship him, the world would see God. So through Abraham, the, the nation of Israel would be born. Their story and their testimony to the world would be marked by miracle after miracle after miracle. It began with the fact that Abraham and his wife Sarah were old and they couldn't bear children. So the first miracle is that, that they had a child. The miraculous birth of their son would, would set him apart to start a new nation. They actually had two sons and set, set apart two nations. But the covenant was with the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. I have some slides here. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. This is a key passage in all of Scripture. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God raised up the nation of Israel from one man in order for the world to see, for the nations of the world to see who God is. Go to the next slide, please. Oh, I thought there was another verse in there. Sorry. Okay. So now we go to Moses. Go from Abraham. Now the the people, the, the nation of Israel has become thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and they're in captivity. Abraham started his family. Future generations of his family would soon find themselves in slavery in Egypt. I'm really skipping a stone going fast through history. While in Egypt, they became a huge number. They became a nation. In Egypt, in slavery, a nation was born. We know the story of the Exodus. And following their miraculous escape from Egypt, God introduced himself himself introduced himself to them as their God. That day, on that day, on that mountain, they would become his people, and he would become their God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 16. This day... The Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God. 
and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations, all the nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. That is the basic framework for the place of the nations in history in the Old Testament. It's not just Israel, but all the nations have been created, created and established by God. He decides their rise and fall. God is sovereign over all the nations. He loves all the nations. He, he, he superintends over all the nations. His purpose is to draw, a, draw all people to himself. And this includes not just individuals, but entire people groups, nations. Not only does he call all men to himself, but he calls all nations to worship him. Do we have a slide for Acts 17? Say yes. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He made, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward, find, toward him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each of us. He determines the time frames. He determines the places. He determines the nations. God is over all the nations. So we see that the nations are called by God. They are created by God. They're established by God. And when God establishes a nation, he, a nation, he calls it to righteousness, to his righteousness, to his standard, to his life, to his kingdom. There are certain things that a nation is called to and will eventually be judged by. Let's look at these quickly. First of all, a nation will be called to acknowledge God. Psalm 46 Verse 10, we're all familiar with this verse. It says that God will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 33, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. If you remember when David challenged Goliath, the Philistine, on the field of battle, when he said to him, Who is it that challenges the armies of the living God? It was an affront to David, and it should have been an affront to the, the army of Israel that Goliath and his people wouldn't acknowledge who God is. The nations are called to recognize the sovereignty of God in their midst. The second thing that, that God calls a nation to is to walk in righteousness. Romans 1 tells us, that though they had sufficient evidence of God in the natural order, all people everywhere should be able to see that there is a creator, that there is a God, that there is someone over all things. Just by looking at nature, God says that natural theology should be sufficient for them to acknowledge who God is. Romans 1 says that they didn't acknowledge him and they didn't give him thanks. And it goes on to explain in Romans chapter 1 that they exchanged the worship of the living God in order to worship creation. They took their eyes off of him and deliberately began to worship idols and began to worship nature, anything but God. And Paul goes on in Romans 1 to say that as a result, they were given over to their lusts. 
God said, if you care to reject me, if you want to walk away from me, I will let you do that, and you can wander into your own lusts, to your own desires, to your own sin, your own depravity. And, and indeed, those who walk away from God, who refuse to acknowledge him, if refuse to acknowledge his righteousness, will walk in all kinds of unrighteousness. Ignoring the call to walk in God's righteousness led to judgment and leads to judgment. Number three, God has called the nations to give heed to Israel. We've already seen that Abraham, we've already seen in the life of Abraham that God judges the nations and how they respond to Israel. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. That's a straightforward equation. Zechariah 2 verse 8 says that if you lay a hand on Israel, you have touched the, the, the apple of his eye. God does not take lightly those who would harm his people. The nation of Israel is still today God's chosen people. By God's order, by God's purpose and plan, if we draw out a map of the world, Israel and Jerusalem should be in the very center of it. If you want to see what God is doing in history, watch Israel, watch Jerusalem. Not a popular thing to say these days. Israel has, like any other nation, has its problems, has its rebellion, its rejection of God, has all those things mixed in, and yet God still has a plan for Israel. What he said he would do in Abraham, the promise to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, would all be fulfilled, and it has yet to be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And finally, number four, the nations of the world are called to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter tells us that Jesus Christ is the stumbling stone that everyone must deal with. Everyone must make a decision about Jesus Christ. And that's not only for individuals, that's for nations as well. John 3 tells us that whoever believes in him will be saved, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Jesus Christ is the decision that every person and every nation needs to make. At the end of the age, Jesus himself will make war with Satan and the gathered nations of the earth. With simply the words and judgment of his mouth, he will judge and destroy those who are gathered against him. Jesus Christ is the decision we all must make. So we've seen that God has created and established all the nations of the earth. In seeking out the nations, God has established Israel to be a shining example of who he is, to be a shining example of his mercy and his power to the whole world. But none of that's worked out. Israel has, has a history of, of rejection, judgment, returning back to God, rejecting God. It's a constant, constant cycle. Israel is a picture of the rebellion of the nations all throughout history. They have not fulfilled what God has called them to do. And so God is still reaching out to the nations. The nations of the world have also rejected God over and over again and refused to worship 
They have been lost in unrighteousness and wickedness. History is full of examples of nations and empires that have set out to find their own way without God. Few have survived history. Even the greatest empires, without acknowledging God, crumble from within or are overrun from without. Even Israel has often forsaken its calling to be a testimony to the living God, to the nations. Finally, in their rebellion, the nations of the earth will gather on three different occasions. We've already referenced this, but let me, let me emphasize this. History of the world, the history of the nations will culminate in th on three different occasions where the nations of the earth will gather to make war against Jesus Christ himself. Now we're out to the end of the age. The war of Gog and Magog in, in, in Ezekiel 38, 39, are the nations gathered. The battle of Armageddon, and some of us who were in Israel a while ago were able to stand and look over the valley of Megiddo, where the battle of Armageddon will take place. All the nations of the earth will come to fight and war against Jesus. And I believe we'll be there. Something about white horses and the saints will come to judge as well. We'll be part of that battle, but not from this side. And finally, there's a battle at the end of the millennium when, when Satan is released from a thousand years of captivity. Sin has not been allowed to rule on the earth for a thousand years. The rule of Jesus Christ has been perfect, and yet Satan will be released for a time, and he will deceive the nations Deceive the nations, and some of them will turn again for a final decisive battle in which they are overcome by the power of Jesus Christ in an instant, and we will enter into eternity without, without Satan deceiving the nations, without the influence of sin, and in the perfect reign of Jesus Christ. So I asked the question to myself, okay, if that's, if that's kind of the general direction, and, and by the way, if I look at the nations, the history of the nations, and I see the pattern over and over again, and even Israel couldn't get their calling correct. And I look at it and I see the, 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 the very evident, the very blatant sin nature in man. God says that there's no one who does good, not one. No one seeks after God, not one. And it's all bore out in the testimony of the nations. We see that. And so in this brief history of the nations of the world, I have to wonder, where does America fit into this picture? I have never heard one theologian say that America plays a prominent role at the end of the age. And I believe that we are there. And so somehow America will be undermined. Somehow America will lose its place, its standing in the world and not play a role in the events of the last days. Remember I said Israel is at the center of the map. Israel is at the center of the prophetic map as well. So I ask myself, if that's true, what was, for what was America founded? What role has America played in history? What role has, God, has America played in God's plan for the nations, for the world, for the earth? And what will happen to America 
if there's no role in the last days? Cannot begin to answer all those questions. So we can debate about the idea of America being a Christian nation or not. We can debate that. What we cannot debate is the fact that our nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values. That's not up for negotiation. We saw several quotes in the video just a few moments ago. We saw quotes from our founding fathers that shaped the, the documents that shaped our nation. They were overtly Christian. Even those who were deists, even those who were on the margins, had a clear understanding that God, even Thomas Jefferson, had a clear understanding that God uh, ordained, God blesses nations. And without him, we cannot move forward. And even the Declaration of Independence states clearly that rights, authority, and life itself are only given by God, not given by a government. I have the Declaration of Independence up here. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Even in the Declaration of Independence, they were saying, and they were moving away from Great Britain, obviously, anytime we move away from these foundations, we have a right to overthrow the government and start over again. Anytime we move away from these Judeo-Christian values and principles that, our, that our, our country is devoted to. Few, if any, nations in history were so heavily weighted toward the benefit of their citizenry in their documents, in their government documents, in their structures, in their organization, in their viewpoint. I know of no other nations where the success of the government is dependent upon the morality and the spiritual well-being of its people. We've heard the famous quote that this nation cannot survive without a moral people, without a spiritual people. There's a quote from John Winthrop. You see, this didn't start in 1776 with the Declaration of Independence. It goes back to 1630 when the pilgrims came. For we must consider, this is what John Winthrop wrote, governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony. We must consider that we shall be as, as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work, we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world, and I would add throughout history. You see, because of its conviction concerning the sovereignty of God and its affairs and the equality of all people, America has been a champion for human rights and justice across the globe. Today, I don't think we hardly dare go out on the street and say that. Even with our own tragedy of slavery and the issues of our past, we were willing to go to war and shed the blood of our own sons and daughters in order to bring justice, in order to bring, bring justice back into our picture. In the two world wars, America helped ensure that tyranny and evil were held in check and defeated. 
During the Cold War, America stood fast for peace and justice against the onslaught of godless communism. All of this courage, justice, and struggle for human dignity was because of the Judeo-Christian values instilled in our character, in our constitution, in our culture. America has indeed been a city, a shining city on a hill, as President Reagan described us. One must wonder indeed, if indeed, America hasn't been the great experiment in democracy that was ordained of God to moderate these last two centuries of tumult in the world. But, like all nations, America must govern itself in each generation lest it slip into the ash heap of history. Forces have been at work. Some say it goes back over 100 years, almost 200 years. Forces have been at work both within and without to erode the Judeo-Christian foundations of our nation. The value of human life, the concept of a limited government, the various rights afforded to us by God in our Constitution and the Bill of Rights, principles of a market-based economy, the sanctity of marriage, they're all values of our founders and Judeo-Christian heritage that are all under daily attack. Our nation, like so many in history, is on a collision course with judgment should these trends go unchecked. So what do we do? How then shall we live? Let me suggest five things. I think I have four in your notes. I added one this morning. The first thing I think we should do is that we need to be a people of worship. We need to be a people of praise. And that includes, that includes celebrating the heritage that God has given us as a nation. That includes celebrating the fact that God has blessed our nation that God has established our nation on the foundations of scriptural principles and truths, that we have until recently been a nation that has called upon the name of God, has been unafraid and unashamed to name Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we wanted to, we could take lots of time <clears throat> to quote many of our past presidents who have unashamedly prayed to and praised the name of Jesus Christ. It wasn't until 2009 that a president came along and said that we were no longer a Christian nation. One congressman, I, I have this on video, and one congressman stood up after that and said, exactly at what point did we not, did we become, did, did we not become, how am I saying this? Were we not a Christian nation? At what point did that happen? Brothers and sisters, we need to be those who recognize God in the nation in which we live. We can be a people of praise, and we need to praise God for our heritage. <clears throat> Number two, we need to pray to preserve our nation under the blessing of God. We need to pray for the people of and the destiny of our nation. If we do not pray, if we do not intercede, if we do not intervene through prayer, who will? There's only one way to stop this this slide, 
towards tyranny that we see ourselves in today, and that is by the people of God coming to God, bending their knee, and worshiping God, praising God, and repenting before God. The nation around us will not repent on their own. They need a, lead, they need a people to lead the way. And as children of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are that people. The one I added this morning was to participate. We need to be voices in our communities. In our conversations at work, in, in school, wherever it is, we need to boldly proclaim these truths, the Judeo-Christian values. We need to be We need to be out in the community. I don't know what that means. It might mean you running for office. It might mean you leading a community organization. It might mean you writing letters to the editor. I don't know what it means. But I believe we need to participate in the community in big ways and small ways to proclaim the name of Jesus, to preserve the heritage of our nation. Number four, we need to proclaim to the nations that God reigns. God's plan and his purpose has not changed. Psalm 33, 12 is still true. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. At the end of the age, his plan will be fulfilled. Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says that every tribe, language, people, and nation will be represented in the company of the redeemed. One of the beautiful pictures of heaven is that every language will be spoken. God has left it to us, brothers and sisters, his church, his people, to go out into the nations and proclaim his word, to proclaim his grace, to proclaim his gospel. All the nations of the earth are waiting, whether they know it or not, are waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And God says that, he doesn't say that all people of every nation will be, will be there. It's, he says that every nation will be represented. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to the world. So sometimes we wrestle with whether we should focus on our community or focus on our families or focus on our neighbors, but God says we should be focused on going out into the world. Yes, we need to witness of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to our communities. We need to be heavily involved in that, and we, we intend to do that as a church, intend to have that as a value. But we cannot lose the calling of God that, that is there from the beginning of the world to go out into the nations and proclaim to every nation, language, tribe, tongue, every people group that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we need to be involved with establishing God's church in every nation, every people group. Proclaim to the nations that God reigns. And finally, number five, we need to preserve the generations to come. What I mean by that is... Um, the Patials stood up here a while back and dedicated one of their kids to the Lord. I don't mean to pick on you guys this morning, but that was a beautiful picture of a family living for Christ. That was a beautiful picture of two parents saying, we will set apart our kids so that they will know who Jesus Christ is. They will have every opportunity to receive him as Christ as Lord and we set them apart and we pray for them that they might follow Jesus Christ all of their days. I don't think I go a day where I hear a headline, I read a blog post, I see something on the news where I, where I don't just gasp and wonder what the world is going to be like for my grandkids and their kids. That could easily turn into fear. This world is a fearful, fearful place. 
And let me tell you, God's plan has been in, been in motion since, since the earliest of days, since the foundations of the earth. And his plan will be fulfilled. God will see to it that everything he says he will do will be done. And that means that all the nations of the earth will be represented. And my job, not only to proclaim to the nations, but is to raise the next generation up so that they know Jesus Christ. Family is a beautiful picture. And one of the things that, one of the things that is being undermined in our culture today, we could talk about this a long time, is the institution of the family. And I don't care what your, picture, what your family looks like today, if it's, if it's broken, if it's whole, if it's, I don't care what it looks like. Start today, drive a stake in the ground and say, we will live for Jesus Christ. And on that day, we will look from the eternal side on the judgment of God. We will have our hopes set on an eternity with Jesus Christ, without, this, without Satan, without the deceit of the nations. Revelation 20, 21, I forget where it is, says that the kings of the nations will come and worship in the temple. That is the power of God. With that, I'll say amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward.